Hello and welcome to the Beer Jack Podcast. I'm Luke. And I'm Matt. Uh, and thanks for tuning in to yet another episode of the Beer Jack Podcast. This week we are recording remotely from our homes and we're in day four of New Zealand-wide lockdown, level four. Yeah, so a bit of a different situation for us. It's been uh, a while since we've been in full lockdown, so uh, yeah, a bit different this week. <laughs> so um, thanks for tuning in and very special thanks to all of you wonderful people that shop with our sponsors, our sponsors being us, uh, Beer Jerk. Beerjerk.co.nz is our web shop and a fantastic place to find beer from independent craft brewers from all over New Zealand, all over the world. And it's especially convenient during level four lockdown um, because, yes, we are on a central service and we're operating safely in our warehouse and we're slinging boxes of beer to every corner of New Zealand to keep everybody, um, I suppose, entertained and occupied. Yeah, absolutely. And it's great. We haven't, um, unlike previous lockdowns, we haven't had any reports of courier delays and stuff like that yet. Um, we're having staggered shifts in the warehouse, so stuff's getting out pretty quick. So it's um, it's going well, and we've got some uh, fantastic products up there at the moment. A bunch of new releases coming out, as always, as well as some exciting new mix cases, fresh imports and stuff like that. So if you haven't shopped with us before, um, it's definitely a good time to check it out. I think during previous lockdowns, there's been a lot of talk about people drinking more booze um, when they've got nothing else to do. And, it's, and I was chatting to a friend about that this week because... Certainly for our online shop, we do see uh, 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 more sales when lockdown happens, but obviously our bar is closed. And I wonder, because of course people aren't going to restaurants and cafes and bars and drinking. Um, are people drinking more booze, do you reckon? I don't know. I, I certainly am. Um, yeah. As, as, as well as being home in lockdown, um, my kids and wife have both been sick. Um unrelated gastro stuff but so not covid though my wife did have a test um but um yeah like it's been pretty stressful a few days for me so um i've definitely actually taking a couple of days off the beers at the moment uh just because i feel like i have um been ramping up so it's important to make sure that i'm monitoring my intake and my uh health with that um but yeah Yeah, um, but but I have been drinking some fantastic beers, actually, um, like an unusually good uh, slew of beers for someone who usually drinks unusually good beers. What have been some highlights recently? Um, well, um, I've been working my way through our West Coast IPA challenge box, and there were some mm. great ones in there uh, from Eight Wired, uh, Epic, um, and Brave, uh, I thought were great. But the standout for me there was the uh, Space Lord from Boneface. Mm. I thought it was delicious. Um, just really bright, fresh, clean, bitter, um, everything you want. Kind of had that beautiful aromatic hop note coming in over the top, um, which was delightful. Um, on the East Coast side, uh, Derelict Permanent Daylight was a hazy IPA that they've put out in bottles. Uh, I don't know if there's any of that left still. There were only a couple when I picked it up. Um, but they're, they're doing some uh, good stuff pretty consistently. Mm. Um, I had Duncan's Tiramisu, which is his uh, latest kind of big imperial stout, uh, pastry stout, kind of uh, had those uh, big dessert vibes, which was fantastic. Um, but the, the most special thing that uh, I had is uh, the Gaston from Boat Rocker, which was a, a wild Saison uh, aged in fortified Riesling barrels, which was tremendous and unique, just that this kind of really interesting funky saison vibes, nice level of tartness to it. Um, heaps of earthy character from the Brett, but the barrel character from that is phenomenal. It's just this really interesting kind of almost heavy sweetness from the fortified Riesling, which is kind of that kind of dessert wine kind of vibe. Um, and it carries across uh, bringing a bit, a bit of those uh, kind of oak tannins in it as well. And it's just this unique note that uh, sings through the whole beer, which is really nice. So uh, only a couple of bottles left of that, I think. So the, the Gaston, so it was aged in wine barrels, but also infused with fortified Riesling. Right? Uh, I, be, I, I don't think it was for, the beer itself was fortified. I okay. believe that I believe it's from a fortified Riesling barrel. I was yeah. looking up, I was trying to clarify that when I looked at the bottle as well. And I couldn't see any mention of the beer being fortified, but the fortified Riesling barrel was the, um, was the thing, um, as far as I could tell. 
Um, mm. But it is a 10.6% beer. So it's not out of the question that it was fortified. Yeah. Boat Rocker is so bloody great at that sort of stuff. It was just such a, a wonderful afternoon that I spent with uh, Matt Houghton, the, the owner and co-founder of, uh, of Boat Rocker a few years ago. And just, yeah, just going through all the different barrels and just trying all of the, the ramjet variations. It's, yeah, a, a beautiful brewery and amazing beers. Yeah, and um, we've been uh, actually having a chat um, about working with them lately. So we had a collaboration lined up around Biavana, um, which unfortunately due to their lockdown didn't go ahead um, with w- in person, but we uh, did manage to collaborate remotely. So keep an eye out for that beer coming out um, in the next few weeks. Uh, not sure exactly when it's going to be finished, it's, but it's in fermenter at the moment, so that's exciting. Yeah, Small Gods Boat Rocket collaboration. First, uh, first international brew. And uh, what have you been drinking sweetly? Uh, somewhat similar, but very different beer. So it was my birthday yesterday. Happy um, birthday. Thanks, mate. And I, I treated myself to, uh, to a few special beers that I've been holding on to. So I had the, um, the Rivage Brooks from uh, North End, the Salt and Wood series. Oh, brilliant. I presume that's how you say it. B-R-U-X, Brooks. Uh, yeah. Brooks. So I think that would be from um, uh, Britannomyces brusilensis. Yeah. Um, which I, I've just heard um, abbreviated to Brett Brooks, but that is probably not correct. But <laughs> anyway, it's spelled uh, Rivage Brooks Reserve, the, uh, the salt and wood from North End. And yeah, just a really lovely, I think it's about 6% or so, um, lovely farmhouse saison that's aged for a year in some. French oak Sauvignon Blanc barrels, not, not over the top fancy, or it's just uh, just the sort of thing that goes perfectly with some good cheese, which is how I drank it. And, and it wasn't as though it whacked me around the head with, um, it wasn't extremely tart, it wasn't massive uh, wild notes to it, it's just a really lovely drinkable um, wild saison. Beautiful. One of the things I really like about that style is the wild saison. It's just, it's a bit more like refined and delicate than some of the big sours and some of the big, um, uh, big Brett beers where it's kind of got this delicate funk to it and it's interesting and it's layered and it's complex. You get so much character out of that yeast from the, from the years that it's had to develop in the barrel um, that just like, keeps revealing itself with pairings and there's temperature changes and there's some often so many layers to it um in a way that not many beers can achieve like there's something to be said for kind of bright clear crisp notes in beer but having that there's something that brett does a lot of the time which is really um deepens and complexifies the beer yeah and you know it's fun to drink these uh these big balsamic vinegar like tooth enamel stripping sours sometimes oh, oh for sure um but yeah it's also it's also lovely to drink things that are a bit more restrained with the uh with the bugs and wild yeast yeah it's a bit more sort of balanced uh, another one which was ramping things up a bit was full circle from emporium and Craftwork. oh i still haven't tried that yeah so that is um nine percent belgian pale ale that's been soured in a whiskey barrel uh for quite a long time which yeah, that's definitely ramping up the um, yeah, just the, the the funky sourness to it, and just a, quite a bit of whiskey coming through actually, and just a, a real nice slow sipper. Um, while I was still eating, uh, still getting through my cheese board, and nice. yeah, just went just went perfectly. Just the just the the sharp tartness cutting through the fattiness of the cheese, and that's a lovely story behind that beer as well. Well, I don't know if it was completely lovely for uh, for the Finneys. So uh, Emporium, uh, we've had Finney on the, the show previously. Um, so he relocated from Christchurch to Kaikoura uh, after the earthquake to start a brewery. And then there was another earthquake. So during yeah. that time, they went up to um, uh, visit Kraftwerk in Omaru, which is where they lived previously. So it's sort of full circle. And they uh, they created this beer together at that time. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, um, another great brewery that, um, we should probably have a chat to uh, some more soon. Craftwork, uh, just uh, as we've mentioned on the on the podcast, just relocated uh, to the new yeah. premises, and excited to see what they do with their bigger brew kit. Yeah, yeah, we should definitely get um, Michael Orleano on at some point soon. 
Yeah. Uh, probably Leanne, I don't think Michael has a telephone. <laughs> uh, and the, the, the third beer I drank last night was the um, Isthmus Figaro, the fig and chocolate beer all stout. Cool. I've got one of those in the fridge uh, staring me down every time I open it. It's, it's really good. I was expecting it to be more of just this, this modern trend of beers that basically taste like drinking dessert. Uh, and I was pleasantly surprised to find it wasn't. Um, it's, it's, it's quite a traditional imperial stout. It's roasty. It's got a bit of bitterness to it. It's got real lovely dark chocolate notes. So don't go into it expecting like a chocolatey figgy pudding. It's, it's not an overly sweet beer. And it's... Well, that's- that's good. I mean, imperial stouts traditionally haven't been, and yeah, the new wave of pastry stouts, um, while they're delicious, um, kind of has lent releases away from that. But stuff like um, Oscar Blues 1050 and uh, those really old school imperial stouts um, really do have a big, heavy, roasty bitterness to them. And uh, it's nice to see that's not getting left behind. Yeah. Yep. So, really good. And the first dark beer from Isthmus. All right, next up, Small Gods news. Yeah, um, yet another um, Small Gods beer um, is out now. Uh, just been released a couple of days ago, um, and it is the third beer in our Satan trilogy uh, that we brewed with uh, Mike Cheer of Malt Cult, uh, who uh, flew up from Christchurch to brew those with us. And this one is a whiskey-fortified Scotch ale, uh, which we've uh, kind of, dialed everything up on um, really trying to get that uh, big whiskey note coming through in there with um, uh, the, so this is a fortified beer. We um, added a bunch of uh, Scotch whiskey, uh, which we'd infused with uh, some fresh vanilla pods. Uh, We uh, aged that on Oak for a number of weeks uh, before canning it. So um, as we were talking about with Figaro kind of, it is a, big aggressive beer it's um it's bitter it's got a smoky note coming through it's got some oak character and yeah we'd really kind of wanted to nail down that whiskey uh character uh, throughout the whole mm. beer well as well as i think a, a, a pretty massive amount of space side whiskey literally added to it the fermenter we also really worked on a recipe for the scotch ale that the beer would have tasted like a scottish whiskey even if we hadn't have added whiskey to it, just with the um, the recipe for the for the base beer, with the we had some um, oak smoked wheat in there. What were the other main things that brought to mind the, the whiskey flavors? Are you putting me on the spot there? Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I was just trying to think of the recipe actually, but yeah, it's it's always the way with beers, right? Because you you come up with a recipe for a beer, then you get all the ingredients, then you brew the beer. And then it's weeks later that it gets finally packaged and released. And by then, people are like, oh, what, what hops did you use? Which malt did you use? And it's kind of, well, we've, we've brewed a few beers since then. It's been a while, so we'll have to maybe yeah. revisit the recipe. Yeah, so um, so we used a, a Marisotta base, uh, which is a kind of a, an English um, style of uh, just a pale base malt. Um, we loaded up with some uh, various crystal malts. Um, the uh, caramel malt, uh, dark crystal, a bit of Munich and Vienna, and then, as you said, that oak smoked wheat. Mm. Um, so Scotch whiskey, uh, Scotch ales, sorry, in general, um, kind of are remnant, are fairly reminiscent of whiskey in that base. They've got a little, they often have a little bit of that smoke to them. Um, some of that caramel character, which in a whiskey often gets dominated by the booze and by the smoke, uh, depending on what whiskey you're drinking. And I'm far from a whiskey expert, um, but uh, I always find that if once you get into a glass of whiskey and it warms up, and you, especially if you're drinking it neat, you get that kind of, um, you do get that malt character, that sweetness coming through um, as, as you get into a glass. So that's kind of um, the, the vibe that we were going for is that, um, yeah, you do have a bit of alcohol heat there um, in the beer as well, uh, which is designed to, yeah, again, emulate that. Um, whiskey experience i think it'd be a light loose for sure it's uh yeah the satan 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 sold out in what two weeks and yeah. uh, the fall's going pretty fast but, it, but it's nice that these are three different european inspired beers from three different countries 
and we've given them their own spin. It's not just about dipping a can in wax to make it look cool. Well, I think that it's, um, I mean, that's part of it, but um, I think one of the things there's been a lot, a lot of discussion between us behind the scenes, which we'll probably talk about now um, mm-hmm. in, in the inspiration for these beers. And as you mentioned um, the, in the Satan trilogy, we've got beers from three different countries, which are um, uh, Germany with uh, Satan, 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 the bot, uh, Belgium with our fig double and the UK with uh, this uh, Lucifer share, the Scotch ale. Um, with, I mean, one of the things that we see as the three countries with some of the longest beer, longest standing beer traditions um, in the world mm. and each carrying their own specific tradition um, and uh, through the yeast that you use, through the, the malt that they use and the hops and the, and the way beer is thought about in those countries. And we, with, with this trilogy, we wanted to reflect those three countries through the characters of the beer, but also bring together those similarities because there is which i'm quite pleased about this note that runs through the three beers um in the malt basin um in the in the conception of them uh, that they do drink as a trilogy and um they would flow on really nicely from one another in terms of flavor as, as well as in terms of style um so i'm really pleased with how that's come off in that um they do kind of resonate with one another in terms of the flavor profile that we've got in there yeah yeah and they're all pretty uh i suppose they are all pretty in your face beers but yeah i mean they're supposed to be (laughs) yeah when you settle into it they're they're kind of drinkable i think with satan 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 especially um i drank several glasses that over the course of the night when it launched and yeah i was enjoying every single one i really didn't get sick of it i'm probably not going to drink several glasses of uh, Lucifer Share at 10%, <laughs> but definitely a great nightcap. Yeah, well, they've wrapped up with in ABVs as we've gone along. Um, yeah. And I'll be, I'm really interested to see the feedback on, on them because they aren't, uh, they, I mean, they're, they are very unusual beers. They aren't beers that um, people have tried before. They are aggressive and, um, and unusual in their flavor profiles. Um, Satan, Satan, Satan with the, um, with the gunpowder element and that's kind of sulfur and smoke um the the strong alcohol note and the kind of whiskey note that carries in in lucifers and um the i guess the fall is probably the least aggressive of the three um mm. but still um it's an unusual style for most new zealand drinkers um and it's not a pastry stout it's not an ipa um so it's these european styles which um a lot of our main hardcore fans probably a lot of you listeners um are familiar with um be interesting to see the people who aren't used to those styles and uh, how they react to uh, beers uh, of that nature yeah so uh that's gonna be our beer of the week uh, in about five or six weeks yeah and a uh, little easter egg for those of you who have been collecting the cans at home uh one of the little design uh things that we did with those cans is they're designed to be stacked on top of one another so um, you'll notice with Satan, Satan, Satan at the bottom, uh, the fall in the middle and Lucifer's share at the top. Um, you'll see that um, it's kind of artistically repre- designed to represent heaven at the top, purgatory in the middle and hell at the bottom. As uh, Lucifer uh, started out as an angel, uh, fell uh, down, down, to he- down to hell. And then you've got the wax, the color of the wax uh, on each can. Uh, ties into the can below it so you got um the black can at the bottom with the red fires of hell um in the wax then the silver can uh representing purgatory with the black wax at the bottom and then the silver wax um on uh the lucifer's share with gold at the top to represent heaven so um as i said we don't uh it's not something that we've talked about to anyone it's just something that we did um, but that's just a, a, one of the Easter eggs that we wanted to put in there as a as a visual reference and something to tie it all together. Um, and yeah, well, I think in something to enjoy. In, I think in design, if you have to explain yourself to people and explain that the feather on the can represents a feather that's fallen off an angel's wing that was slain in the mighty wars of heaven. Um, yeah, I, I think things stand by themselves. 
but yeah, I think it, I think it's nice for people to also hear a bit about our process. And yeah, I think so, and I think this, some is, this is the place for it because people probably uh, aren't going to read that, um, see that if they pick them up separately or anything. But um, I know so <laughs> there was quite a lot of thought and um, conversations that went into that whole um, element of them. Um, so uh, a little fun treat for those of you listening to check out. And I think that's part of the joy about Small Gods and especially all of our collaboration beers that we've done. We're getting to work with such talented brewers and drag queens and other people now, but it's, it's all about collaboration. And, and I think we bring to it the just the amateur enthusiasm of people that are new to something and not jaded by doing a thing day in, day out. And, and for us, coming up with a beer label is, is a thing we're going to devote a lot of time to because because it's fun and it's important and and Christ just to see to see somebody drinking a beer that we've made and to share a photograph they can online is, is amazing whereas maybe that well, surely it wears off after a while so I hope with our small gods beers we we do never lose that that wonder and excitement about creating stuff for people to enjoy yeah absolutely and um and yeah and to me that artwork is part of the fun and it's part of the thing that I enjoy about um, the beers that I drink and and the, the shape of the industry as it is is that um, all the cool stuff that people are doing with their um, can designs I'm a fairly visual guy um, and yeah it's, it's something an aspect of it that I really enjoy so uh, trying to bring that uh, to what we do is uh, making sure that we're considering every element of um, what we do from the concepts to the flavor to the package um, all together and that's that's what we're about, really. Yeah, it's an experience. Yeah. Uh, but talking about the industry today, what was the beer industry looking like in 1964, Matt? The beer industry was looking interesting in 1964. So um, I was actually um, on a walk uh, with my kids and my dog this morning. Um, and uh, on the place where I walked the dog, there's a little cabin by a lake. Um, and I took the kids in to show them around. And there's just a bunch of random old books on the walls. So while they were pottering around, I pulled one off and it was the Britannica book of the year for 1964. And by chance, I flicked it open to a random page and it was the page about beer for that year. Um, so the book of the year, is that just sort of like an annual news review of stuff that's happened in the year? Yeah, it seems like. So um, I didn't have much time to flick through it, um, but it's basically summaries of what happened in various industries and in various parts of life and in that in in that time so there was a food and drink section and it had a bit on beer and a bit on wine um and there's a bit on cheese and so a little snapshot of the industry so in that book they were talking about uh, the uh, rise of continuous fermentation um and uh breweries struggles to um properly commercialize it um thanks which, to old mate um morton coots hey, new zealand uh, innovator yeah no name drop there for him but um so they were talking about um that as a technology that breweries were trying to uh, grapple with and um and well, ultimately no one does it really uh, anymore uh but um in your fermentation i don't think there's i don't think there's many people doing that i think guinness do Oh, yeah. Uh, I think uh, maybe something we should read up about and um, we can have it as a feature on a future podcast. Yeah, definitely. Um, they're talking about the um, the meteoric rise of um, these new crown seals and uh, rip-top uh, beer cans uh, in the United States, which was set, uh, t- set to replace corpse, corks and uh, sweep over Europe. So it was just <laughs> the, be- the beginning of crown seals and cans, which was interesting. Just imagine opening a beer with no need for a corkscrew or a tin opener. Yeah. The people used a tin opener to open the beers. Yeah, I must have done. But yeah, so that so that was really interesting. Um, uh, a bit about um, kind of buyouts and mergers, talking about the Swedish industry and how uh, things were consolidating over there. And um, what was the other little note that was interesting on that? Oh, well, I'm just looking now because you, you shared a couple of pictures in the, um, in the NZ Beer Jerks Facebook group. Listeners, um, get involved if you are on Facebook with the NZB Jerks Facebook group where we chat about all kinds of interesting beer stuff. 
but there's a wonderful photograph of a woman displaying some canned Beaujolais wine. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. Um, so, um, yeah, talk, just a very kind of period piece. And it looks like a can of soup or a can of beans from, from a distance. And it's just like, yeah, that's how they were. Um, uh, yeah, that's how they were revolutionising the wine packaging industry at the time. And in um, 2020, people are still trying to make canned wine happen. Yeah. Make it stick. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that there was a lot of talk about uh, beer being made from concentrate. Um, so yeah. uh, I would assume that by that they mean kind of um, like we have work kits for homebrewers at the moment um, where people are making work, uh, reducing the water out and then shipping it around to be rehydrated and uh, fermented. Mm. And then there was another little bit which uh, the beer consumption per capita in various countries. So uh, had Belgium leading, leading the way at 116 litres, uh, Czechoslovakia at 115, and down Australia at 105, UK at 87, uh, down to Sweden at only 33.2 litres uh, of beer per person. Uh, so, um, yeah, just a, it was just an interesting little slice of life for that period. Yeah, I... I don't really buy new books. Um, I just go to charity shops and, and buy pre-read books. And and I find that you can get just such wonderful things that are out of print. Like a few weeks ago, I talked about that um, Grapes of Ralph book, the Ralph Steadman art book. Yeah. And I, I think a reason I like books so much is that it, it takes some work to publish a book. And you're not just going to put any old bullshit. Well, of course, some people do. Uh, but it's it's just an extra layer versus writing a blog or writing something online if it's going to go into a book and there's and as you said like a, a slice in time is that the book goes to print and it's it's immediately old news you're not updating it it's, it's a whole new revision and a new edition that has to come out when things change yeah and I think it's, it's something that is gradually being lost and changed as kind of uh information becomes more fluid and lives online and um but yeah i think there's a lot to be discussed probably not on this podcast about um the the fact that yeah books as a resource historically you had to be had to be true and things got vetted and um like there was some rigor to being able to put something to print whereas anyone can say anything online uh, or on a podcast and <laughs> yeah what do we know COVID idiots just putting stuff out there no one's stopping yeah. us <laughs> no, exactly. no one's what we're saying before it goes out we don't have a sub editor or anything yeah um and another book i was looking at this week um is uh the book that we're including in our father's day gift boxes but uh, really great boxes, actually. But it's a book by Mate Jules, which is an overview of brewers in New Zealand. And even though it's the latest edition, obviously it's still out of date because it's a book. So I was kind of enjoying having a look through that this week and just reading about some of the breweries that were in the early days that are now much bigger. It's only been a couple of years, I think. Um, and some of the breweries that disappeared. So he talks about um, like Tiamana, who are no yeah. more. Uh, talks about uh, Wild and Woolly, who oh, yeah. are back. They are? Yeah. So maybe we'll get on to that when I have a bit of a chat about uh, Beervana later in the show. Oh, interesting. Because uh, uh, I thought Lou Bardecki was brewing for George Duncan now. It, both. Oh, exciting. Um, yeah. He released some great beers. Um, yeah. Those big 750ml paper wrap bottles. There was a little lavender saison and uh, some really interesting stuff that he did. Yeah. So um, recommendation from uh, from me this week is old books. There you go. <laughs> go find some at your local charity shop. Yeah. Well, speaking of Beervana, um, obviously uh, just before lockdown, uh, Beervana went ahead and uh, Luke went down. So what were some of your highlights? Yeah. So um, this year we, we had a stand similar to the one that we did last year. So Beerjerk collaborated with the American Embassy. Uh, and we have a mate, Brendan, that works at the um, United States Department of Agriculture. And his entire job is to promote New Zealand companies importing stuff from America, 
just whatever it happens to be. So the meat board is a very big thing. Um, and Some great meat merch going around. Yeah, uh, and it's, it's it's a very savvy thing that countries should do. Just have a have a cheerleader in all the other countries to do trade with, championing their their produce. And of course, there's a lot of great American produce. So last year, we imported a bunch of fantastic American beers uh, that we poured at Beer Barna. So that was a, a lot of hype there and excitement. And this year, um, just due to COVID, shipping, everything else, um, we were championing American hops. So we were pouring beers from a bunch of fantastic independent New Zealand brewers using all American hops. Uh, so really cool liner, um, had a great little team working with us. Um, but yeah, in between pouring beers, I managed to get out and about and do a few loops and catch up with a lot of old friends, try some good beers. Um, it's always great to go down to festivals like that and uh, get everyone in one place at one time. It's, uh, it's always good fun for the industry. A lot of work, but... Yeah, it, it is so exhausting. And it's kind of, um, yeah, because I was the only one of us from Beer Jeff that went down this year and we had uh, uh, local friends that helped us out behind the bar and work for us. And yeah, because the, the festival door opens open at 11 a.m. for the first session. And then the second session finishes at 11 p.m. So you don't get out of the stadium until nine midnight. And then, of course, you have to go to LBQ and catch up with some friends for a few beers. Then you have to go to Goldings. Then you have to go to Rogue. And before you know it, it's four in the morning and you're in an underground pirate-themed bar drinking rum, uh, uh, ready to be up at nine the next day to have a whole other day of festival. Um, you're going to have to send me a link to that uh, underground pirate bar. Our bar. <laughs> Sounds right up my alley. It's pretty amazing, actually. They've got this like, uh, it, it sort of is like Pirates of the Caribbean theme ride. They've just got such good interior design in there. They've got like a like a replica boat that you could sit in. Um, awesome. But I drank this, and I need to find out what it was. But I drank this incredible sipping rum um, that just tasted like a banoffee pie, uh, and it, it didn't have any adjuncts in it whatsoever. It's just purely the yeast they used uh, and the barrels they aged it in. Oh, it's just super banana-y. Yeah, amazing. Uh, but back to beer and beervana. Um, yeah, uh, so Lou from Wild and Woolly, uh, who, yes, he is brewing at George Duncan's. And uh, for listeners that haven't heard of Wild and Woolly, um, this chap called Lou, who's uh, one of the sweetest men you can ever meet, uh, have this wonderful, tiny uh, brewing company, um, which closed down probably five years ago. Yeah, and uh, and looking back, it's a, a lot of the styles that he was doing were quite actually reminiscent of the stuff we're doing at Small Gods. It's, it's like a like the lavender saison, and it's this big smoked something or other. It's been a while, so I can't really quite remember. There was the sooty albatross, I think, was one sooty of the albatross, beer, yeah, which was like an aged smoked IPA, <laughs> but just a bunch of really really interesting things and. Um, yeah, like so many people, just decided to call it a day. He'd be working his ass off and just wasn't making any money. So he, uh, and it was lovely to have a chat with Lou about that journey. And he said he had a, a good few years and um, he brought joy to people with his beers. And then he um, he wraps it up. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get him on the podcast uh, soon to chat about it. But um, just recently, there's a new company in Wellington called The Beer Engine who are coming online fairly soon. And that's a really small brewery. So, so the beer engine are a brewery. Uh, and also they're going to be letting various other small brewers use their kit. So oh, Juicehead are going to be brewing there. Um, Wild and Woolly will be brewing there. Um, I think Abe from Baseline will be doing stuff there. Okay. So really, really cool like collaborative projects. Um, so yeah, that is, I think it's going to be opening fairly soon. Okay, cool. Yeah. So that's pretty awesome. Um, had, uh, I had a really lovely chat with Hannah from Heyday. Yeah. Her, um, just about the story of Heyday and how it started. And I actually didn't realize that, so Hannah's one of the co-founders. I actually didn't realize that she illustrates all of her labels. Cool. Cause Heyday have been doing some really cool can art lately. The, the, what, I've got five or six different cans that they've put out now. Um, yeah, that, that archaic crew is the yeah. uh, greatest, eh? the gang of dinosaurs. Yeah, it's a bit of a divergence. Like the, the initial ones, the IPA, APA, 
um, were kind of a bit more minimalist, but this is going a bit more of a interesting cartoony direction. Yeah, and it was just lovely to chat to her about when they started and she just wanted to put a, a feminine stamp on the beers, on the brewery, on the, the venue. Uh, so there's a lot of powder pink in there. There's a lot of kittens. And um, and yeah, there wasn't, there still isn't much of that these days even, but there certainly wasn't when they launched five years ago. It was yeah, quite no. a, you know, it's it's gears and it's, speakers and motorcycles and engines and uh guns and robots and stupid cartoon characters it's quite a quite a blokey thing the world of craft beer design yeah and as cool as all those designs are um <laughs> yeah uh, it's really nice to have um more diverse voices and uh, more diverse palettes coming out and uh people kind of changing that uh front-facing vibe yeah um and probably one of my favourite beers that I had was um, I was having a chat with the uh, the brewery from Altitude, and they had a um, a lemon verbena sour beer. Yeah, well, their their, their jam session sour that um, I I think I've previously raved about on the podcast um, did really well at the festival as well. Well, yeah, like three hundred liters of berry puree going to a, a very small batch. So yeah, that's that's very major. And the, the lemon verbena was, I think the beer is called um, What's Yours is Mine, What's Mine is Also Mine. <laughs> um, that was a reference to, uh, well, the lemon verbena is just uh, the stuff that it's his, his wife's plants that grow all around the house. And uh, so for this beer, he just harvested every single bush to really? get, I think, about 40 or 50 kilos of leaves for this very small batch of beer that's a lot of like leaves aren't that heavy that's a lot of leaves yeah yeah if you imagine how many like pillowcase falls that's, yeah. that's a lot. um and just really um like quite restrained breath in there that as we we're chatting about earlier just for me worked perfectly sort of like a like a young orval yeah and it's uh yeah really really delicious uh so yeah a lot of good beers uh, around Beervana this year. Oh, brilliant. From, from uh, some of the biggest breweries in New Zealand to one of the smallest. Uh, what's been happening in your shed, Matt? Well, um, I've moved on from my uh, uh, table beer. Well, I haven't moved on to it. I'm still drinking it. It's got, got it on tap. Um, but one of the reasons that I brewed that uh, the table beer that we've discussed at length on the podcast is um, after a chat with Kieran at North End, um, when I was trying to convince him to brew it, uh, his table beer again, he said, uh, what he said to me was that uh, he, he doesn't brew it very often because he uses it as a starter for visitation, uh, his quad. Mm. And so I was like, huh. Um, so I have uh, followed up that, um, uh, that uh, yeast. Uh, I've kept that um, going in the fermenter and I brewed a rum and raisin quad so um, a big uh, Belgian quadruple, uh, about 10%. Um, so I, the grain father that I use at home uh, wasn't big enough to, uh, to uh, fit all the malt in for that. Mm. Um, so um, I did a split match, which was the first time I've done that. So what I did um, is I took half of the grain and I steeped that, mashed it in um, and ran off all the liquid took all the grain out um, uh, uh, sparge through it, which is kind of run water through it to rinse the rest of the sugar out of the grain. Um, then I mashed in again um, at a different temperature um, with the other half of the grain. Um, so the reason for splitting the temperature is you get different characters coming through um, at, uh, and di different textures coming through from different mash temperatures uh, with different mm -hmm. enzymes working. Uh, so I was able to get, um, yeah, uh, all, all that grain mashed in on the, uh, the first running. So you, uh, you're not diluting it by adding uh, any more water. Um, and yeah, got that, got that fermenting away on the yeast cake from the table beer. And then I created a tincture from some rum that I distilled at home. Uh, and to that, I'd added um, a bunch of raisins, uh, some vanilla, cinnamon, uh, star anise, and a couple of oak spirals. 
so I left that sitting for a few weeks uh, to kind of infuse and dump the whole lot uh, in uh, towards the end of uh, fermentation. And uh, yeah, it's uh, just kegged uh, a couple of days ago and it still needs some more time really. It's really boozy, um, but it's got a really nice kind of rich sweetness. It's quite thick and it's got the spices coming through. I'm, I'm pretty pleased with it. Um, it is out of balance because of the, the strength of that booze at 10%. Um, not really, it, it loses a bit of drinkability from that. It's kind of like drinking a spirit, um, uh, partly because of the volume of the tincture probably, and partly just because it's a young, strong beer. Um, but good news is with 20 liters of it on tap, I don't think I'm going to be getting through it in a hurry. Uh, so um, I'm going to have time to see how that conditions as I have a small glass every now and then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when you were talking about the tincture, it reminded me of uh, Danny Champion of the World and how him and his dad catch pheasants. I haven't read Danny Champion of the World since I was about eight years old, so I can't remember it all. Yeah, same. But maybe you should uh, maybe you should read it with Griffin at some point soon. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure they they soak raisins in rum and leave them out for the pheasants, and then the pheasants get drunk and fall asleep. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, remind, when you mentioned Kieran, that reminded me of something that we just found out this week, was that one of the first Small Gods collaborations, Sin Eater, which was recently rebrewed, uh, so we collaborated with North End to make a, an oat dark mild, uh, and Kieran told us that he exported that to England. Yeah, I was like, man, I would have told all my friends back home to buy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, that's, uh, yeah, it's a shame we, we missed that and we didn't realise at the time it was a, he'd sent it there a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, that, that conversation came from us chatting about um, one of my favourite New Zealand beer stories recently, um, which is uh, George Duncan and his Duncan's Yum Yum Yuzu Lager, which is a crisp, dry Japanese-style lager with Japanese citrus fruit Yuzu added. Uh, he exports it to Japan. That's such so cool. Like, and the design's quite Japanese inspired as well. On, on yeah, that, like cute, cute little yellow can. Yeah, it, it's completely yeah, like selling uh, selling sand to Saudi Arabians. Uh, yeah, but um, love it. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, good, interesting to see um, those New Zealand beers kind of making their way all around the world and. Yeah, very interested to see what the reception was like for Sinitra in the UK. So uh, might go and check out on Untapped and see if any of my mates have had it over there. Yeah, try and find out. All right, well, I just heard a child screaming in your background. Um, and I'm also aware that we need to uh, crank on with the podcast because we've been yeah. here for a while. So we should probably get on to the beer of the week. We should. Uh, it's norm normally up the top of the episode. So um, with Luke going down to Beervana and... Um, various situations we uh, missed talking about the beer of the week last week but we've actually got two beers of the week to discuss now and um, so both uh, are from our mates at whistling sisters down in wellington uh, they've uh, got a cool brew pub down there uh, on the corner of uh, guzney street and taranaki street so if you're in wellington definitely go and check them out mm. um, and it's a uh, a lovely team uh, with making some great beers uh, with a lovely message behind them yeah just the the nicest people at Whistling Sisters. Um, yeah, and fantastic. Their, their profits go to the Karen Louisa Foundation, uh, which is a, a foundation set up by the um, founders to honour their, their sister slash daughter um, who died prematurely of breast cancer. And uh, the, the profits go towards funding more research, uh, which is brilliant. And the brewers are... Um, Logan, who's an old friend of yours. And, yeah, uh, so I, I used to work with Logan at Brothers uh, up in Auckland before um, he went away and we've done a few homebrews together. And um, yeah, Logan's a, a great guy and a good friend. Uh, and also Padmal, who is one of only two master brewers uh, working in New Zealand. Yeah, so I think the term master brewer gets thrown around quite a lot um, as, and brewmaster and stuff like that. Um, but uh, it is um, an actual certification um, that um, you can receive it's a, a high level certification it's hard to get mm. um, and yeah uh, so it's when when people throw it, it around um, it, it, it does have a meaning and um, yeah uh, so a fantastic pedigree um, Padmail's worked on some 
breweries all around the world in what India, Sri Lanka, Japan, yeah, for, yeah, Japan, uh, Australia, yeah, like and, Germany, uh, yeah, from big multinationals to small little local guys. So one of the most fascinating uh, BSCVs that I've ever seen, and mm. it was really interesting working with him um, on the brew as well. Just a, a lovely, interesting guy um, with some good method methodical brewing practices and. Um, a few insights which um, he shared with us, which were really interesting. Yeah, I, I don't want to be able to persuade Padmao to come on the podcast. He's a very quietly spoken family man. I'll, uh, I'll definitely give it a go. But yeah, yeah, yeah I'd like to sort of yeah, go home to his family after work. You don't know, find him in the pubs of Wellington. Uh, but yeah, just a, a wonderful, uh, talented brewer and lovely guy. And so brewmaster is a job title, um, I, I think. You, anyone can be a brewmaster if you're if you're the brewer it's just like being a barista or anything but it's the master brewer which is a qualification and, and i think that is just where people just get mixed up i suppose yeah and does get thrown around but um yeah so well, albrecht von Vormaden would uh, of uh riverhead cottage would be the other brewmaster in new zealand that I'm aware yeah of. yeah yes i mean the, there may be some more around but I'm, I'm not aware of any others especially i'm not aware of any that are brewing so uh, if any listeners do know of any, uh, please uh, correct us and get in touch. Um, so the triple was also pouring at Birvana. Yeah, uh, so um, this was um, another Small Gods collaboration, uh, which mm. um, we, we uh, flew down to Wellington to uh, brew with them. And it is a triple pepper triple. So uh, we brewed that with uh, white, black and green peppercorns. Um, so we uh, ground all those up, and um, uh, oh, they were pink. They weren't. They were green. They were. They were, they were going to be pink, but um, we uh, couldn't source the pink peppercorn, so we shifted it up to green. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because I remember there being some discussion about other green ones or pink ones aren't actually peppercorns. Yeah, but well, uh, we went with we went with green in the end. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's a. Uh, other than that, it's a pretty classic Belgian triple. Uh, Logan did a lot of work on creating some Belgian candy sugar, um, mm. and um, what candy sugar, Matt? So it's basically a sugar syrup that's been um, heated to caramelize it um, to various degrees. You can get kind of light candy sugar through to dark candy sugar, depending on what you're brewing, um, and it's kind of like a toffee essentially, um, and uh, we learned that uh, after brewing it and uh, after making the candy sugar and leaving it out uh, in trays to cool down, um, it set solid. Um, mm. And we were informed later that you can add water later to make it not set solid. So you can just pour it into the beer rather than spending a few hours with a hammer <laughs> and, and, a, and a stove of uh, boiling water to, uh, <laughs> to re-dissolve it so we can add it in. Um, so that, that was, was part fun. of the fun though just hammering away at these these sheets of rock hard sugar i was so sticky <laughs> i don't think i've ever been that sticky in my life just after <laughs> like getting sprayed with this sugar shards from ha hammering it out of these trays then yeah. then scooping the shards into a big pot of boiling water which was splashing all over me just and then set solid so i just had my my uh, arms and my t-shirt were just like yeah, the stickiest. It was worth it. Oh, it was that like that candy sugar adds a really delicious element to the beer. There's like this caramel, like well, the caramel flavor and uh, a bit of sweetness that comes through. That like a lot of people don't bother using candy sugar, particularly modern, Most, mo yeah. uh, particularly modern and kiwi interpretations. Most of the Belgians, or almost all of the Belgians, still do. And it makes a massive difference. Um, I think so. That, that, that sweetness really ties well into that yeast character. Um, and I find a lot of uh, the triples that don't use it can be a bit harsh and the phenolics kind of seem out of balance, but that um, candy sugar really uh, ties all the flavors together as a, a, a supporting element. Yeah, and the, the pepper is, it, it's a delicate layer. It's certainly... Um, it, it doesn't the beer doesn't taste peppery necessarily no uh, so it's kind of on, on the back of the palate it's just a, an, another like that there's a, a flavors of those kind of clove and spice coming through from the yeast 
um, mm. but and it's there in, in support of those to enhance that the element rather than whacking you over the head with it. Yeah, but it just just works so nicely, and with the coriander, yeah, uh, in the in the balance of flavors. So super happy uh, with how that beer came out, and it's it's been getting some good feedback. People are into it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and then the other beer uh, is one that we uh, did not brew with Whistling Sisters, but we're very happy that they brewed, and that's an extra special bitter. Yeah, um, and just a, a nice, delicious example of the style again. Um, so I think lots of talk in the members group about um, how people wish it was in a bigger can so they could have some more of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm always a proponent of having the correct size volume for a beer. I think something like a, like a Weiss beer, uh, like a Hellas, like an extra special bitter. I, I want a big old glass of that beer. Yeah, Whereas definitely. If it's like a, a barley wine, I want a little wine glass of it. So yeah. I think that is, yes, yeah, so I, I can totally get that people might feel like, oh, I, I wish I had more than 330 of this. Yeah, because it is it is such a drinkable style. And, and this is a great example of that. Just so easy to put away, kind of lovely, bready, toasty malt character to it. Um, mm. uh, a little bit of that um, spicy English hop character, but um, not, mm-hmm. nothing uh, over the top. And I think people, uh, British beer internationally gets a b- bad rap for being flat and warm. Mm. um which is a unfair characterization um because it's it's just so yeah characterful yet drinkable um in a way that a lot of beers aren't a lot of beers kind of trying to whack you over the head with flavor or trying to strip all the flavor out completely um to to make it drinkable it's like getting the that's that subtle like yeah the, the the subtle malt character the toast the biscuit um coming through but still kind of being a relatively clean dry beer with support support some supporting bitterness to it so yeah it's something that people should be drinking more of and with being beer of the week also nice to share the story of east kent goldings yeah exactly what east kent goldings are uh and I think a lot of people don't realise that East Kent Goldings are Goldings hops that are grown in East Kent. And and it is exactly that. So the same stuff is grown in other places, but just very specifically within East Kent, they just have the the perfect kind of soil, um, the perfect kind of... As I was reading about it, it spoke about the, uh, the, the salty winds that blow off the Thames estuary on the side of the hills and the, the slightly chalky soil and and Goldings grown in other places just simply taste different to East Kent Goldings. It's, it's terroir, right? Yeah, well, um, it's something that um, I think people are starting to focus on a little more is the terroir of hops and malt um, and yeast. Um, but so it's something that's talked about a lot in wine where you have um, your grapes from Bordeaux and your Gimblick gravels in New Zealand and um, it's such a huge factor that um, ingredients grown in different places don't taste the same. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's uh, nice that um, people are starting to recognise that. It would be hard to imagine Nelson Sovin grown anywhere but Nelson um, as, a, as as so linked to the place. And a lot of those New Zealand hop varieties, as we I think we've discussed before, that a lot of them are hop varieties from other parts of the world that, taste different because they're grown in New Zealand like Cascade being now Taiheke it's the same varietal but mm. being grown in New Zealand has changed it yeah yeah the same as uh Fuggles uh that's grown in East of Europe is uh Styrian Goldings just the same stuff yeah uh, confusingly not a Goldings hop it's just <laughs> just got that name somehow uh so yeah great work with Whistling Sisters and two beautiful back-to-back beers of the week yeah, and so as we said, definitely um, if you're in and around the Wellington region, um, check them out. They have a fantastic restaurant associated with the brewery as well. And they um, do um, a bunch of other f- fermentation stuff. I think a little less than they used to um, originally, uh, but stuff like kimchi, sauerkraut, um, and um, and yeah, it's, it's a fantastic restaurant associated with the brewery as well. So stop in for a meal and a flight. Uh, say hi to Logan. Yeah. Give him a cuddle from me. <laughs> That's an order. <laughs> <laughs> all right so 
on to uh, our new releases and mixed cases. So at the moment, uh, because we're in level four of lockdown, um, we, we're pivoting somewhat with our web store and we're just releasing a whole bunch of interesting fixed composition mixed cases uh, to keep all of you entertained uh, with um, a lot of great beers and good styles that have been coming out recently. So we're chatting about our mates at Boat Rocker before. We're just at the tail end of a couple of mixed cases that we put together from those guys. I think the I think the barrel age mixed cases are probably sold out. We had small numbers, and we've probably yeah. got a few of the um, their sort of regular beer mixed cases left. Yeah, so definitely not much. Yeah, grab those while they're still out because yeah, amazing beers across a whole range of styles. And what else do we have out in mixed cases, Matt? Um, so yeah, uh, we've got the regular boat rocker mix case, uh, which we've got a few of left as well. Um, mm. We have our Father's Day box, um, which uh, Luke was talking about before. Um, you can get a six, twelve, or twenty-four pack um, uh, for Dad uh, coming up in two weeks, fifth of September, I believe, is Father's Day. So um, you can get that delivered in time, um, and it's just a mix case in a variety of styles from some of our favourite breweries, along with that uh, uh, brewed book by uh, Jules Van Costello. Mm. We, we have a little Parrot Dog six-pack, which features um, six of their latest 440 releases. So the three matte beers, the uh, Mosaic Lager, the Bright IPA, and the Hazy IPA, as well as their new Double Hazy uh, Steve, I believe, is in there. No, maybe no. not Steve. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I should have this open in front of me. Um, <laughs> that that new Double Hazy uh, went down really well at Nirvana. It was, a, it was a real one of the talking point beers. And it's oh. yeah, we know Paradox do great hazy IPAs, so it's no surprise whatsoever how good that beer is. Yeah, so um, yeah, six fantastic beers from Paradog in that box. Um, we have our Hazy Heavyweights is back. Um, so Hazy Heavyweights is a box that we we release from time to time, um, which just has three of the most fun, fuss uh, hazy IPAs that are out at the moment. Uh, usually all um, super limited. So yeah, that, that, really start, it's, it's generally when the stars align and it yeah. just happens to be that, that three amazing big hazy beers come out simultaneously and we just think, well, we've got to group these together. Yeah, so, so that is the latest 802, number 36, uh, with Idaho 7 and Rewalker. Uh, Eight Wide Oat Soda, which is a cashmere mosaic hazy. And we've also included the that Parrot Dog Double Hazy that we were talking about in there as well. Hmm. Um, on top of that, uh, we have um, keep your eyes open for a couple of dessert beer mix cases that we're doing. Um, one big and chocolatey, one fresh and fruity. Um, that will be uh, dropping once we've uh, just uh, fi finalized arranging all the beers to go in those. But those are going to be a delicious treat. Um, and then other than that, we've had a bunch of uh, new individual beers come out lately. So uh, Lucifer's Share, um, as we've discussed, is the latest Small Gods beer. Um, that's available uh, singly or as a four-pack where you can save a bit um, if you want to um, uh, tuck a few into the cellar as well. Mm. McLeods have released uh, Celtic Warrior, their West Coast double IPA, um, which, um, again, I've got one in my fridge. haven't managed to crack into that one yet, um, but looking forward to it. Uh, one, one of our favourite breweries. Um, so I can't imagine that's going to be anything but flawless. Um, there's still a little bit of that uh, Whistling Sisters uh, bitter that we were talking the ESB bitter that we were talking about um in stock so um if you're not a, a subscriber and you do want to try that beer you can uh pick some up there one of the ones that i'm most excited about is uh brewed fermentation um so this is a new brewing project um mm. uh, from uh down in nelson uh, and they have released a barrel fermented uh saison uh, that has been uh, dry hopped with fresh hop rewalker uh, so that's going to be a fantastic uh, or a fascinating beer um, to dig into from um, some new guys who are really doing some interesting stuff, experimenting with fermentation in different styles and barrel fermentation and stuff like that. There's only a few bottles of that, uh, seven, big 750 mil bottles. Um, so if you want to see what the new guys on the scene are up to, uh, you can check that out as well. Uh, the Boat Rocker beer. Well, every bottle was unnumbered, and I think the batch was 412. Yeah. That, of of the, the entire batch of beer. So pr pretty limited, pretty special. Yeah, so not much of that around. Um, the Boat Rocker beers that we um, talked about um, in the mixed case are available singly, but you save a bit by buying them in the mixed case, and they're all brilliant, so I'd recommend doing it that way instead. Yeah. Um, Epic have released a, 
Haze Maze, which is a 330ml hazy. Uh, they released that in conjunction with High Score, um, their West Coast IPA Challenge beer. Uh, so using the same hops, but um, with a hazy interpretation. Keredu have put out a couple of Belgian quads, uh, mm. one which is just a straight up quad and one uh, which is uh, brewed with truffles. Um, so I've, I've tried the regular one and it is a really nice, just clean, straightforward quad. And the truffle one um, is sitting in the fridge as well. As you can tell, I've got a bit of a backlog at the moment. Um, then we've got um, West Coast IPA beers. Uh, there's still a few of those available. Um, and I believe that's us caught up. Um, but anyway, keep an eye on the website um, because we have new releases, new mixed cases coming out all the time. Um, you can also find those uh, beers um, and boxes on our social media channels. That's at Facebook, uh, at The Beer Jerk on Instagram at beerjerknz. Um, and the best place to uh, have a chat with us and uh, if you want to talk about all those uh, releases is in our Facebook members group at NZ Beer Jerks. Well, that's about it from me. Thank you for listening, everybody. And, and uh, we'll catch you next time. And enjoy lockdown. Uh, drink good beer, but don't drink too much of it. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs>